Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, what we know so far about plans to reopen schools in some Bay Area districts and what school officials are grappling with as coronavirus cases climb and pressure mounts from the Trump administration to reopen classrooms for in-person learning. Then writer Carla Cornejo Villavicencio has written a book about undocumented immigrants, often absent from the broader narrative, infusing her own personal experiences as a DACA recipient throughout. But don't expect a dreamer memoir, she says. These are the stories of people who don't inspire hashtags or T-shirts. That's all next on Forum. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. San Jose's Alum Rock Union and Eastside Union High School districts announced this week that most of their schools will continue online learning this fall. Brentwood and Oakley Union School Districts in the East Bay announced something similar, while Marin's health officials are guiding schools toward a full reopening with in-person instruction. In this opening half hour, we learn what districts are grappling with as they prepare to start the school year during a pandemic. And we're joined by Diana Lambert, senior education reporter for EdSource. Welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. So you spoke with several school superintendents in your story that dropped early this morning about the hurdles that school officials are facing as they plan to reopen schools. So remind us all the things that they're dealing with. Well, superintendents are trying to do something that has never been done before, reopen schools in a pandemic, and they have to navigate health and safety protocols, along with concerns of parents and teachers and still keep their districts, uh, open the districts with tight budgets. And, and this so, includes every, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so go right ahead, please. I was gonna say this includes everything from making sure you have enough protective equipment, a mask, et cetera, for students and teachers and ensuring social distancing on school buses, which sometimes can mean 10 to 12 children on a bus. And we're learning that today, Oakland Unified School District is supposed to release their plan to reopen campuses. Do you have any sense what they will do? 
Well, the district is considering allowing families to choose distance learning for the entire semester or a combination of distance and in-person learning, which is called hybrid instruction. And is that something that most districts will likely go with based on your research? A lot of districts, most districts are going for hybrid instruction this school year, which means students are in class either half the week and doing distance learning half the week, or they're in class, say, in the morning, and another group comes in in the afternoon. And that really is the most popular version right now, although almost every district is also including some form of distance learning only for parents who are concerned to have their children back in school. So then why is that, Diana Lambert? Why is that model the most popular, as you say? Because it allows for social distancing classrooms. Instead of 30 kids in a class, you might have 15. So, so that is why that's the most popular. It's a way to social distance and still get all the kids some time in school. Is, is it also in response to surveys that districts are doing? Does it seem like parents that this is what families want? That's hard to know. It seems that parents are split. A lot of parents want to go back five days. They want their kids in school full time. And some districts are actually doing that more than I thought. I'm starting to see more and more going to five days. So um, that is the most popular among parents, I think. And, and then there's other group of parents who don't want their kids in school at all. And so just trying to... Yeah, yes, trying to get at all these different needs. Yeah. Well, let me put that out to our listeners. Are you a parent of a school-aged child? Do you work in a Bay Area school district? How are you thinking about these issues that Diana Lambert is laying out, that superintendents are grappling with, with regards to reopening? And what are your questions about how school officials are handling decisions around reopening? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. This is a half-hour segment, so the time to call is now with your questions. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Or you can email us at forum at kqed.org. Now, Diana Lambert, you uh, spoke with the superintendent at Sebastopol uh, Union Elementary Schools. This right. is in Sonoma County, of course. And they are a very small school district, right? They are. They're only two schools. And so what are small districts like Sebastopol Union dealing with? It's even more difficult for districts like that because they are they have no HR departments. They're 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 very small. And so they may have four or five people planning the whole entire school reopening. And they also of, go ahead in terms of funding related to this funding. I mean, it just depends on the school district. I don't know that they're in any worse straits than uh, a, a, a large school district. Everyone's strapped right now. But I think their problem is just in staffing and also in the fact that they're often in rural communities, so they need busing. And in one school district, they said 40% of their students are bused in. Now, if you have to only get 12 kids in a bus, that's a real problem. So in, in some districts, they're actually telling parents just you're going to have to drive your kids to school. Wow. And also in rural districts, I'm not so sure if it's the situation so much for Sebastopol Union, but uh, there also tends to be more difficulty with ac accessing consistent, you know, Wi-Fi. Wi the digital divide is, is, is very wide. Absolutely. I spoke, I actually did a story last week about small school districts, and that is the biggest problem, that they just do not have access often to internet connectivity. And so they are, have a real problem with distance learning, especially since now there's going to be some requirements around distance learning that would require uh, uh, them to have a teacher actually do live instruction online. 
And one of the things that I found interesting, especially in your um, in your article related to Palo Alto, was that even as schools come out with plans or begin to finalize plans, mm -hmm. they're also finding that they have to revise them. Can you talk about how things have played out so far in Palo Alto? Well, Palo Alto has actually revised their plan a couple of times. Um, they received pushback from teachers and parents when they proposed that elementary school students come to school every day, five days a week, and middle and high school students do a hybrid model where they come in part of the week and stay out. And so now they've changed it two times. And the latest proposal, which just was night before last, was to have elementary school come, uh, students come to school half of the week and work from home half the week. And now on uh, secondary school students will go entirely online. And what that makes me think about is how much these decisions, even as they're finalized, as schools start to reopen next month, uh, it's coming up so quickly, that things could change based on, say, growing numbers of infections, right? I mean, even all of these best laid plans, let's say you thought it all mm -hmm. through, could change as a result of this virus. I think that some districts are looking at making multiple plans depending on the rate of viral infections. I have a district, Eureka Unified, which is in Placer County, has a five-tier program where they, every time the virus steps up, they have a different plan in place. So they can be flexible and move as they need to. Again, we're talking with Diana Lambert. She's senior education reporter for EdSource. We're talking about how schools are beginning to put out their plans for reopening. Uh, this fall and how they vary the kinds of things that school officials are grappling with and the kinds of responses that they're getting from parents about their interests and needs and concerns. Give us a call if you have questions or would like to share your thoughts. 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email us at forum at kqed.org. And William writes, my 13-year-old will be returning to his very small private school full-time in San Francisco this fall. Even though we are both at home as parents, I fully support this. Adolescents have so much growing to do, and they cannot do it normally without their peers physically alongside them. Diana Lambert, I mean, we've heard a lot. I mean, we heard from the CDC director, I believe, last night saying that he believes the public health threat of not going to school is worse than the virus. We've heard uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics also talking about the importance of students returning to classrooms uh, related to their health. How much of this pressure is being felt by these districts? I think they're getting pressure from all sides. Definitely the social emotional health of the students is foremost in their minds. But then we also have parents and teachers who are concerned about having that many people in a small space for a long period of time. So they're getting pulled in every direction by people with, all, with different concerns. And let me bring Beth from Redwood Shores in. Hi, Beth. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. This sure. is a very timely conversation. Um, what I was wondering is what are the school boards thinking for immunocompromised parents or relatives at home that may be living with the, the student? What precautions are they taking um, to prevent transmission and the child possibly bringing home um, something to the to the parent or 
close relative that lives at home. Beth, thanks. And, you know, compromised parents specifically. Yeah, Diana Lambert. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Well, I think that depends if the student is going to school on campus or if they're staying home and doing distance learning. Almost every district I have contacted, everyone I have contacted, is doing some form of distance learning for students who need to stay home. So that is available and they don't have to go to campus. If they go to campus, they'll be often, there may be a mask requirement that's still up in the air. Often they're gonna have dividers between desks with uh, clear uh, plastic dividers, not in every school, but in some schools. And definitely they're gonna have social distancing. So it would depend if, you're, if this is your child, if you want the child to go on campus or stay at home. And speaking of adults, thanks, Beth, for the call. Exactly. How are teachers feeling about this? What are you hearing there, well, Diana Lambert? Oh, teachers, um, I mean, they just put out a statement saying they don't want to, they do not think schools should reopen unless they're safe. They're very concerned that the protocols, that there be protocols in place. I think they're concerned that they're not consistent across the state since we often go county by county. So they're, they're very concerned, actually. And there is a lot of pushback from local teachers unions. Um, for example, in Natomas Unified in Sacramento, they want to go to a five day a week uh, back to school, although they're offering four different options. They so could go hybrid, five day uh, distance learning, whatever you'd like for your student. But the teachers don't want any five day a week option. They feel that'll just be too many kids in a class. They, they just don't want that option. And that's I can hear that across the state in many teachers unions. And yet that is something that Marin is moving towards. Can you tell us about how they are planning to do this or if you have heard much from folks in Marin? Because the, the county really is getting ready to basically open public, private, independent, parochial schools. They're all being guided to plan for a full reopening. Right, right. And they're not the only ones. I mean, like I said, I, I'm seeing more and more going to five day a week, whether or not that will actually happen depends on whether the virus continues to spike. Obviously, some people are very concerned that school will not even begin in August as planned across the state. And uh, Los Angeles, for example, they've already had warnings from the health director uh, not to, you know, that maybe they shouldn't plan to reopen right away. Let me go next to Erica in Santa Cruz. Hi, Erica. Hi, um, thanks for the conversation. Uh, I'm wondering what kind of PPE is going to be required and for whom? And at the bottom line of that, are kids going to be and teachers masked all the time? And I also wonder about testing. Are teachers tested? Are kids tested? Are what, what kind of testing information is going to be or testing is going to be done? Erica, thanks. Great questions. Diana Lambert. Hi, Erica. Well, that is a really good question because that is up in the air. We are still waiting to find out if students have to be masked. The governor has a mask order, but he hasn't been clear on whether that will, will be for students as well. So they're going to come up with an answer, I understand, very soon about that, the masking. The rest is all county-wide. There's county uh, public health departments that, that oversee each individual group of school districts within their county. So each uh, school district is looking to their county for answers about what is actually required. So there isn't really an an answer for that. Well, but mostly what I'm seeing is that um, mostly I'm seeing that teachers are, are going to be masked and there's going to be social distancing and dividers as needed. But other than that, it's up to the county. While a lot of these decisions will be local, can you remind us what the state has said about this in terms of how it wants okay. districts 
counties to deal with school reopenings? Well, the state guidance encourages but doesn't require that students wear face coverings. Um, they want uh, teachers to wear face coverings. They encourage the hybrid model of instruction, which is the two days on, three days off on campus rotating instruction. Um, they, are, they ask for uh, social distancing as feasible. Um, so a lot of what they ask for is as feasible. So it's very flexible uh, guidance. But um, I think that is generally the gist of it. Thanks. Let me go to Rosie in Pacifica. Hi, Rosie. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call and, and for this timely conversation. Um, What's on my, your my mind, question, Rosie? Oh, yeah, I, was, I, I appreciate the challenges of balancing a return to work and a return to school plan. And as a working mother, I'm curious to know how the two policies are being integrated at the district level, how those two conversations are happening together. It's a major conversation, Diana Lambert, and something that so many parents are facing. The, excuse me, the integration of uh, how to get kids into school and parents back to work? Is that, I'm sorry, is that the question? That's right, yeah, yeah. And, and how those two things are being looked at and side by side. Well, you know, obviously every superintendent I spoke to is, is recognizes the fact that parents need to get back to work. And that's why many of them are encouraging the five-day uh, model. But, you know, they're getting push and pull from parents who don't want that and from teachers who don't want to have 30 kids in a classroom for them. So I think it's definitely being considered. It's, it's I think, topmost in most of their minds, but in definitely to get the economy going. But um, once again, there's everyone has a different opinion about what's important, and, uh, and some parents are afraid to send their kids back full time. Do you know if some districts are, are even trying to coordinate or assist in coordinating around childcare for parents who really can't make this kind of hybrid or any kind of situation that would require students to be home part of the time, if not all the time. There's been a lot of discussion about childcare and how to make that happen. I haven't seen concrete plans yet. I'm sure there are some out there, but I haven't seen any of those. But I mean, there's a lot of discussion, but they're also working within uh, a really tight budget constraints right now. So um, I'm not sure how many new programs they can come up with. Yeah. Well, Kavita writes, one of the big concerns with regard to distance learning is the struggle of students with disabilities and those with individualized education plans, IEPs, whose goals and intervention services are not being effectively delivered without trained professionals to support them. School districts need to address students with more support needs and bring in more flexibility with regard to in-person instruction for these students. I have seen some districts talking about how they're prioritizing which students get to come back for in-person learning um, and, and with regard to students with individualized education plans. Is that something that is, I don't know, popular is the right word, but it's one we used earlier among districts as part of the conversation? Absolutely. I think most districts are going to prioritize special needs students uh, for coming back to school um, first. And a good example, and this is new, Districts uh, West Contra Costa Unified is proposing an online only school program. And just two days ago, they decided to do this, but they are going to bring special needs students back onto campus. They'll be the only ones on campus. And then as the virus epidemic subsides, they'll start bringing more and more students back. Well, Jave writes, I'm a pediatrician in Oakland and work predominantly with patients on Medi-Cal. 
From the lens of race and equity, it's been beyond disheartening to see how grave the negative impact has been on the lives of disadvantaged students of color, from not having access to Wi-Fi and not knowing how to log into their district-provided Chromebook to the mental health impacts that are truly unspeakable. Having another semester of this would be a true travesty. What will these districts do to make sure there is equity in distance learning? I mean, Diana Lambert, if distance learning, online learning is the way that a lot of districts want to go, and I guess want isn't the right word, but have the option of going in. And in my intro, I mentioned several districts that will do pretty much online learning and continue what they started in the spring. Are they going to do it better? I mean, have they learned uh, from what happened in the spring? Well, I, they may have no choice. Um, there's been some legislation passed, and I don't have all the details, but it's definitely going to have more perimeters to how distance learning is taught and how much of it is taught uh, online live with the teacher. So it, it will change. And a lot of districts say that they didn't expect school to be closed for more than a couple of weeks. So they were really caught up, right. off guard. And so now they're, now they're coming out with, with distance learning plans that are, are a lot better. So uh, I expect that will definitely improve as we go. Well, let me bring in Vansi from San Ramon. Hi, Vansi. Am I saying your name correctly? Hi. Um, good morning. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, I, my question is, I, I also support, um, I mean, um, it should be, kids should not go to school until it's really safe. In that regard, um, I just want to understand what is the point of the hybrid model I mean, two days on and three days off. So, but the kids are still going to school two days anyway. And if it's not safe, um, I, I don't understand that model. Thank you. The point of the hybrid model, it's a good question. I have some thoughts around that, but Diana Lambert, your answer to Vansi's question. Hi. Uh, yeah, the idea of the hybrid model is to reduce the size of the classes. So instead of 30 students in a class, you would have 15. Then you can social distance, move the desks further apart and keep uh, have fewer kids on the bus and fewer kids in the, in the hallways together. So that is the idea of the hybrid model. And is it also to create cohorts so that if there is an outbreak, that it would be relatively contained to the group that happens to be in the classroom at that time? Well, it's, it's conducive to that, but not all hybrid models will have cohorts. But, but yes, I'm glad you mentioned cohorts. That's very popular. And the Eureka School in Eureka is doing that. And basically, um, right, they're going to have small groups of students. They stay together throughout the school day. Teachers rotate between classes in the higher grade levels. And the students are out on recess together as well in small groups. In Eureka Unified, they even have assigned spots on the playground where they stay and they play. Well, Pam writes, I really have to push back on the idea that peer-to-peer -peer socialization is crucial for child development. Schools have only been an institution for a couple of centuries. At most, people manage to achieve adulthood and be well socialized in families and communities from four millennia before that. There's no reason that can't be done now. Mimi writes, Marin's public health deputy told teachers yesterday that schools are safe for all because kids don't get COVID or transmit it readily. This is a key pitch to teachers in Marin who are concerned about being forced into in-class teaching. Dr. Deborah Burke said the prior day that there's insufficient evidence to support the idea that kids don't transmit the infection. Which one should I believe? Well, that is not a question for me because <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but I, I think that you have to just weigh all the evidence and make your own decision on that. Right. But it's really yeah. reflective of just the concerns and, and the newness right. of what we're all dealing with right now. 
Right. right, Diana Lambert. I mean, it's it truly is pretty incredible. That said, she does bring up the federal government. And mm -hmm. can you just clarify for us the extent to which um, the Trump administration has control over how schools reopen, especially with regard to dollars, which they have tried to walk back how much they would threaten that kind of funding. But they've also been trying to put forward this this notion of increasing families' ability to choose alternative educational options if their schools don't reopen. Well, all I know is that Governor Newsom has said that California will decide how schools reopen. And so it's a state um, decision. And in California, actually, it's a local decision. So that we uh, in California, they allow school districts to make that determination. And so based on the timeline that you're seeing, we just have 20 seconds left. Do you think schools will be, quote unquote, ready uh, to deal with this this fall? I think it really depends on what the next couple of weeks bring as far, bring as, far as coronavirus uh, surges. Um, they may not open at all, or they may open later. It just really depends on what happens with the disease, I think. Well, we'll all be watching it closely. Diana Lambert, senior education reporter for EdSource, thanks so much for talking with us this morning. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. Stay with us. Forum is coming up after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.